Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicles Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Moira O'Neill and joining me in the studio today are my colleagues on the personal finance team, Leonora Walters and Kate Bealey. And we're also delighted to have two special guests on the show. Lee Robertson, the Chief Executive Officer of Wealth Management and Financial Planning Firm Investment Quorum and Alan Hyam, Retirement Director at Fidelity Worldwide Investment. Now today we're going to be talking about pension freedoms. From the 6th of April, investors over the age of 55 are going to have complete freedom over how to take money out of their pensions. Unhappiness with annuities was the key trigger for Chancellor George Osborne's announcement a year ago in Budget 2014. And while the new rules are going to give people more choice in retirement, there are plenty of risks to consider alongside the all the euphoria. So, Lee, can I start with you? Um, what do you think are the best aspects of the pension freedoms? Well, I think the word freedom sums it up. I think uh, at long last, people aren't going to have a prescriptive way of withdrawing their retirement savings. Uh, they'll be able to take the money as and when they need it in the form that they want it. And also there are opportunities, if they don't use it during their lifetime, to pass it on. Um, Alan, do, do, you, do you agree? Do you, do you like the idea of this new pension freedom that's coming in? Yes, and I think it was essential because retirement isn't you work till 65 and then suddenly stop. Retirement creeps up on people, people go part-time, people retire early, perhaps before their state pension starts. And so this gives an opportunity for people to use the money that's saved in a pension to suit their lifestyle. So somebody retiring, say, at 61 could now draw quite a bit of it out before, say, 65, until their state pension comes in. That flexibility is very welcome and very useful to people. Is it it, um, difficult, though, to... Is it more difficult to sustain the income over your, say, 20, 30 years in retirement now, though? Because if you're not going to buy a secure, guaranteed income, there are, you know, lots of issues to consider over how much you retire in your early retirement, how much you retire in the middle and how much you retire at the end. Well, it's absolutely true that the freedoms aren't a sort of money machine. You don't suddenly have any more money to live on over your retirement. You just have the option to change the emphasis, whether you spend more up front or whether you spend more in the middle, etc. So yes, the complex decisions about how to make your money last for your whole retirement are still there. Um, of course, when you bought an annuity, it was a simple issue, but you only got a, a 6%, say, rate of income each year, which perhaps didn't meet your needs. Mm. Lee, what have you seen among your clients? What kind of questions are they asking about these pension freedoms and what worries do they have? I think the worries, because we're a financial planning-led firm, I think we talk to clients very deeply about these issues. And I think the big worries they have is they are coming to the realisation that they are living much longer, or they intend to, in general, people living longer. Retiring at 55, that tends not to be our client bank, to be honest. But even even if you retire at 65, potentially you've got another 20 or 25 years of of retirement income to plan for. So I think these are the big concerns that people have. If they strip too much out at the beginning, if inflation does return to the system, which it probably will somewhere down the line, um, how quickly will that erode into their capital? So it's quite quite an interesting dynamic space to be discussing. Um, I've heard a lot about people, people might 
um, take too much out and, and pay too big a tax bill and, and be caught out when they when they they didn't realise how much tax they were going to pay. Do you think that's a genuine concern? I think it's a huge concern, particularly for those who may not be seeking advice and may wish to do this themselves. I think they haven't realised, or many seem not to have realised yet, that if they take all of the money out as cash, it could tip them up into the next tax bracket in that year, move their higher marginal tax rate. So I think the tax planning is as important as the retirement income planning. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan, has, has your research among your um, customers thrown up any issues that we should be worrying about in relation to pension freedom? Well, as Lee says, you know, our research shows that around 40% of people approaching retirement now aren't actually aware of the tax position. And also what virtually nobody's aware of is that whilst your t- tax liability is at your income tax rates, If you were to make a one-off lump sum withdrawal from your pension in April, your pension provider is actually obliged to tax you using emergency tax principles. So if you wanted to, say, draw out a £15,000 taxable payment from your pension just to pay for something, and you would be expecting to, say, pay 20% tax, therefore having 12000 left in your hands, you are going to be disappointed because your pension provider is going to be required to treat that 15000 as the first monthly instalment of 12 other ones. So you're going to be taxed as though you have £180,000 worth of income, which will give you a tax rate of around about 37%. That will leave you with quite a significant sum to reclaim from the inland revenue. And it will be up to you to um, reclaim that money. Um, you're not going to be able to get the tax back automatically at any point. You can get it back yeah. automatically, but you'll have to wait. The Inland Revenue have said at the end of the tax year, they'll do a reconciliation. And if it's clear that um, you've had too much tax deducted, you'll have that repaid at some point during the next next tax year. But I don't think many people want to give an interest-free loan to the uh, taxman over a period of you know, 12 to 18 months. So yes, if you want your tax back straight away, you're going to have to fill out a form P50 or P53, depending on your circumstance. Okay. So this will be particularly important for people who are thinking, great, I've just retired and I want to take a lot of money out and really treat myself this first year and go on a cruise or have a special holiday or I don't know, do it at my conservatory. Um, this is this is these tax bills are something to really focus on. Yeah, uh, and you know, treating yourself is actually the number one uh, objective of people coming up to retirement now. Over forty percent of people do plan to treat themselves with some or all of their lump sum element of of a particular part of their pension. And knowing exactly what you'll get in your hands is crucial, especially before making any commitments. You know, don't you know? Don't order the new three piece suite until you've worked out how much you're going to have left in your hands. Now, I mean, it's all very nice to treat yourself, but people will also be thinking, I mustn't spend too much because I've got to make it last. Um, Lee, do you have any any tips on how you go through that thought process of making your money last over 20, 30 years in retirement? There's some very basic things you can do, and and some of it's just common sense. Never take out more than you actually need. There is a propensity to take out, to round up, so people round up and they take out money they don't actually need. Have a well-diversified portfolio if you're staying invested. Make sure it's um, it's designed to generate as tax-efficient an income as possible. So there's lots of things that can be done. But sustainable income going forward is, is, is the key to anyone in retirement. And what kind of levels of income do you think you can get from a portfolio to make it sustainable? 
Well, we always talk about a safe yield of 3%. Uh, that also leaves some capital growth to counter inflation, to counter charges, because anyone that stays invested in a pension will still be paying charges as well. Mm. We think that's a relatively decent level to be taking income from. It may sound disappointing to people. They've been quite used to higher yields recently with some of the fixed interest investments. But we think that's a very safe level to build into a plan going forward. Uh, that would that would leave your capital intact, would it? Taking we, we would a three percent so. out, yes. Yeah, we would certainly hope so. You can never second guess the markets, um, and that that may have capital issues uh, going forward if we have a market correction. But uh, markets generally over time wander upwards, um, and if you're looking at a twenty to twenty five year investment horizon or or timescale in retirement, that should be fine. I mean, leaving capital intact is is one of the things that um, our readers. Well, many of our readers want to do because they want to pass on assets to their children or grandchildren and the, some of the rule changes in the pension freedoms have made it easier to do that. Alan, can you explain what's changed around um, inheriting? What, what's changed is that if you die at any time before age 75, any pension money that's left um, unspent can be passed on to any beneficiary free of any inheritance tax. If you die after age 75, then any remaining pension fund can be accessed by any beneficiary and your beneficiary will pay tax at their marginal rate as and when they touch it. Um, Previously, there were restrictions on who could inherit or if you gave some money to somebody who wasn't your spouse or a dependent as a form of a lump sum, it suffered a 55% tax charge. Now you could leave your pension fund and allow your grandchildren to draw from it using their personal allowance of 10800 each year and they could pay no tax so there's substantial tax savings to be made on inheritance planning with pensions now as a result of the new rules. I think another point worth making there is that we're we're largely talking about defined contribution pension plans here, money purchase, personal pensions Uh, defined benefit schemes uh, the older style uh, don't have quite the same um, freedoms coming forward and we're seeing clients now who are in those schemes are looking beyond moving out of defined benefit into defined contribution which is actually a big subject. It's difficult to give up um, a guaranteed income just for some freedoms down the line, which governments may change in the future anyway. So there are are risks involved there. So those are people who are in what we've also called final salary pension schemes, where the benefits are related to your salary. They don't have access to the new pension freedoms and they might be thinking of getting a transfer value of their pension and transferring it over into a a SIP, that's a self-invested personal pension where they can access the money freely. Is it a good idea to do that, Alan? Well, it's very difficult to generalise and I think you need to start from the point of view that it's probably not the right thing to do for you and look for the exceptions where that is the case. So the, the, the areas where I think people should pay most attention to this is people with very large defined benefit pensions because if their company who sponsored the pension plan was to go insolvent and there wasn't enough money in the pension scheme to pay everybody's benefits, then the people with the biggest pensions get the biggest cutbacks. So you are more at risk if your company does happen to go bust, like Woolworths did, you know, many household names it has happened to. And as Lee said, you know, you could be 25, 30 years in retirement. So you, you perhaps don't want to take that risk. Other situations where it might pay is if you're in very poor health. So the guaranteed income for life, as Lee says, it's a great thing. You wouldn't want to give it up easily. But if your life's not expected to be that long, actually taking the transfer value could be in your interest. Great. Now, the sort of investments that people might be considering when they, because they can take a lot of their pension money out of their pension pot, one of these investments that people are looking at is buy to let. 
So you can take a massive sum out of your pension and um, use it to generate an income through property. Lee, what are your thoughts on that as an investment option? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably start even before I get there, just saying that um, my I have a big fear right now that um, there is a lot of pension money up for grabs and unscrupulous people will be after that money. So people have got to be incredibly careful about the things they invest in and they should look at Scam Smart on the regulator's website, they should look at PensionWise. Um, going through to buy-to-let as an asset class, um, we don't advise on property. I understand it's, I mean, it's done particularly well. Properties, particularly in the southeast, has raced forward and shows no real sign of abating. So I'm sure people will be very, very tempted by it. People like things they can touch, bricks and mortar. They've, they've had experience themselves. They've had their own property. There's that whole thing of if I buy it, I can put I can put a child in it while they're at university, then I can let it out, etc. So I think it will be attractive. But just beware if you're taking big lump sums out to go into buy-to-let property, you're going to be suffering quite a big tax charge on the way. That will affect your yield going forward, at least for a while. So I understand the attractions. I, I Personally, I would rather have a more diversified portfolio. Alan, do you agree with Lee on, on the, the risks of buy-to-let? Yes, I do. And actually, when we look at our research, we've we've surveyed 500 people who are about to retire in the next 12 months. It's only a tiny minority that actually plan to use some of their lump sum to go into buy-to-let. It's perhaps only 4% of those people. So we're not seeing it as a, a big driver. Obviously, it, it's probably more attractive to people with defined benefit pensions who've got large incomes that's quite secure. They think that will be enough for me to meet all my essential expenses. So my tax-free lump sum, if I'm getting, say, £150,000 worth of tax-free cash from that, they might well look to put that into a property because they feel more comfortable with property. But it is only a tiny minority of people are doing it. And my advice to anybody listening is just make sure you've covered all your essential expenses with secure income. If you have, then you can afford to invest more freely. Buy to let by all means. But remember, you've got a lot tied up in property in your residential house as well. You never want too much in any one asset class. If you're going to secure an income, you're probably going to end up back looking at an annuity, which is what the pension freedoms are really trying to avoid You know, people buying. Is there still a place for annuities, Lee? Uh, I believe there is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's. I think it's often in the way of the telling. If if you if I were to say to a client, without describing the annuity, if I said if I could give you a guaranteed secure income from the rest of your life and give you no market risk worry, what do you think? Typically, they would say yes. I rather fancy that. And then you say it's an annuity, and they go, oh, no, they don't. Well, I don't want an annuity. I don't like those. And I think they've suffered a bit from obviously very low interest rates. So people have come to yeah. not like them. They've had a bit of a pretty tough time in the press as well. But if if you're looking for a secure income, then there is a place for them. Particularly as Alan said earlier, if if there's impaired health, you get a better rate. So I think at least for a part of your income, they may make sense. The other thing, of course, if you if you cover all your basic expenses with an annuity, it allows you more freedom to take a slightly uh, more adventurous, shall we say, investment approach, which you will need for a 20 to 25 year retirement. Yeah, so you won't be worrying as much about the actual fluctuations in the markets with with the with a big portion of your pension if you've got that secure income that covers the basics. Is that right, Alan? Yeah, yeah that, that's absolutely true. You know, if you've covered essential expenses with secure income from your state pension, from any final salary pension, and from an annuity if, if necessary, then that gives you much more freedom. People reaching state pension age before April 2016, though, can take um, make use of an alternative way of having a secure income, and that's to rely more on the state. If you don't take your state pension when you're first eligible and defer taking it, it increases at a, a fantastic rate of 10.4%. 
you could spend more of your private pension money up front instead of using it to buy an annuity and get much more from the state than you would able, be able to buy from an insurance company. It can give you more than double the annuity that you could buy on the open market. So that's an option for people reaching state pension age before 6th of April 2016. That's a great tip. Uh, well, thanks very much, guys, for all of your tips today. That's really interesting. Thank you. Thank you. In this week's magazine, personal finance writer Kate Bearley has been looking in detail at investing in the US. Now, Kate, why is everyone talking about the US at the moment? And well, there's been an enormous amount of discussion around the latest two-day meeting of the Federal Reserve, and in particular around whether or not it was going to drop the word patient from its forward guidance statement um, in relation to interest rates. Enormous amount of obsession over this word, and in fact, it did drop the word patient. Um, which led people to think that it will be raising rates from zero where they've been since the financial crisis. Um, So that means that from June, the Fed's going to be making the decision kind of meeting by meeting rather than pledging to keep rates low for a really long time. And um, it's it's kind of a big big deal because the US has been on the path to recovery for a while ever since the crisis. And it looks like this could be a signal that it's finally emerged. Um, The end of quantitative easing happened last year. But then things like wage growth have been a bit slower and the strength of the dollar has had a bit of an impact as well. So you've, been, you've been canvassing the views of a, a few fund managers, haven't you? Now, how, how have they been reacting? What are, what's their experiences? Well, I mean, the US has typically not been a good place for active managers and I think they would all hold their hands up to that. They've kind of notoriously failed to outperform the benchmark and last year was a really tough year for all of them and I think a lot of money has kind of flooded into cheaper passive funds as a result. Um, A lot of managers said that with rates being so low, investors were kind of pushed into or or more interested in dividend-paying defensive stocks, which hasn't helped those managers more focused on the kind of value-orientated smaller companies. So a lot of them said they've you know, struggled last year and it was quite a difficult time. There's also a bit of infighting among active managers saying that a lot of them were kind of hugging the benchmark and there wasn't quite enough you know, individual thinking. But in terms of how some of those macro trends have impacted funds, the dollar and the strength of the dollar has really hit some of them. So, for example, UBS Equity Fund spoke to Tom Diggin, who said that the strength of the dollar impacted on food brand Yum and confectionery company Mondelez because of um, revenue generated outside the US being impacted. And also the oil price fall has hit some companies, which managers held. So there were a few kind of headwinds that were slightly unpredictable and really impacted on them. Okay, so they've been making a lot of excuses for performance, <laughs> but um, how are they going to turn it around? Where are they seeing value this year? Well, yeah, I mean, I think the thing to say is that they're all, you know, they all say their time is coming, really, and, and that this year and from now onwards will, will be the time for active managers to shine as rates rise and investors are slightly more interested in maybe looking for some value opportunities. So they've all got quite different views on where that value will come from. Um, so, for example, Tom Diggin, he really likes banks, which you know might surprise some people, but his view is that um, regulatory scares have, have made them better value and actually a lot of banks have really deleveraged, making them a better option. Um, we well, expect an active manager to try and be contrarian but yes. in, in that sense. So yes, that. Yeah, exactly. And then um, the oil price falls has always presented interesting opportunities, both for companies whose share prices crashed and might come back up. But some other kind of interesting trends in terms of things like car retailing, which is a massive market for the US. Quite a few managers were talking about that. Um, so for example, Mark Sherlock at Hermes, 
US Smid Equity Fund. He likes a car supermarket called CarMax. Because a lot of managers said that actually this is a really good area for value and the the major players have quite a small market share. So there's a lot of potential for growth and there is the potential that with petrol prices coming down, maybe people will spend that excess on a new car. So mm-hmm. some interesting ideas coming out, I think. So to read more about all of those views and for our ideas on how to invest a portion of your portfolio in US funds, you can read those in this week's Investors Chronicle. Now, on other investment areas, Deputy Personal Finance Editor Leonora Walters has been looking at the Alliance Trust saga that's unfolding. Now, this is a big global investment trust that a lot of investors may hold. Leonora, can you tell us what's happening? There's an activist shareholder, I believe. Yes, one of the largest shareholders in Alliance Trust, Elliot Advisors, wants to add three new directors to the board because they're unhappy about a number of things. Alliance Trust rejects the idea and is telling its shareholders to vote against the suggestion at the AGM on the 29th of April. Since Elliot initially made the requisition on the 16th of March, the two have entered a war of words and they seem to be filing claim and counterclaim against each other day in, day out. But but to summarise, um, Elliot um, has a number of grievances, which, which some other people share. And they point out to underperformance of Alliance Trust against sector peers and benchmarks, which is true. It hasn't done the best. They also complain about the high and inflexible nature of the trust's um, internal investment management function. And they also don't like the fact there's losses in two of the subsidiaries, Alliance Trust Savings and Alliance Trust Investments. Those are the three main things. Other things they kind of pick up on are the discount to net status value, which is obviously a result of the per performance. And they're also not happy about internal appointments, about consultation of shareholders. Alliance Trust appointed a new head of equities in autumn uh, last year and they didn't consult shareholders. Elliot would actually like the management to be outsourced because they think um, an external manager could do it more cheaply and offer better performance. In their words, they say the board would benefit from added expertise, experience and a fresh perspective. The people the people have lined up are like former financial services people, Anthony Brook, Peter Chambers, who actually used to be the chief executive officer of legal and general investment management, and Rory McNamara, um, so all quite experienced individuals. Alliance Trust really takes objection to this. It says shareholders should vote against it because it argues that the directors aren't independent because they've been put up by um, Elliot. Now, what Elliot says is it paid a search firm. It didn't get the directors themselves and it didn't know the directors. Therefore, they are independent because the search firm found them. Alliance Trust says because Elliot paid the search firm, the directors aren't independent. So that's, you know, that's one of the bones of contention. Um, Apparently, it's not just um, Elliot and Alliance Trust who are... Who are having this discussion? We've got another body, a shareholder body, who's who's weighed into the debate yeah. and, and given some advice to shareholders of, of Alliance Trust. Yeah, I mean, ShareSoc. I mean, they um they were a private shareholder representative organisation, 
and they put out a statement kind of backing Elliot's actions because, again, they feel that per performance, wide discount to NAVs aren't good. And there is an annual um, general meeting coming yeah, up, the 29th isn't there? Yeah, 29th of yes. April when people get to vote on the issue. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Alliance Trust doesn't want shareholders to back this action. I mean, it also thinks Elliot's like a short-termist hedge fund out to get a quick profit and leave everybody high and dry. And apparently... Elliot has suggested a 40% tender for shares as a way to narrow the discount. Alliance Trust says that would involve selling off a lot of good assets. Elliot says it's not a short-term shareholder. It's a long-term shareholder. It's held as shares for five years. And its solution, putting directors on, is not short-termist. So the debate weighs on. Exactly. The, the debate on. will probably continue and we'll Until we shall the 29th report on of it. April, yeah. Now, um, Leonora, you've also this week looked at another um, investment trust, BlackRock World Mining. Um, now, this trust underperformed in 2014. Why was that? Yeah, um, the trust had a, a pretty bad year. Um, its net asset value fell 26.4%. Share price fell 30%, whereas it's it, the uh, Money Global Mining Index only went down 13%. And the reason for this is the investment trust's holdings of non-equity investments. Now, mining, mining funds and mining investment trusts typically buy the shares of mining companies. But in 2012... BlackRock started to invest in royalties from mines. The reason it did that was to boost its um, its income because it, it adopted a new, a new high income policy. And the trust's board says that buying royalties um, allows it to participate in long-term production revenues and resource growth and um, diversifies the trust source of revenue. So it's not just relying on dividends. Now, unfortunately, in October, it had to write down one of the royalties... Um, from the Mavampa mine, as well as a convertible bond, um, both issued by Iron Ore Producer London Mining. Uh, London Mining couldn't meet its financial obligations because of a fall in the iron price, slow than expected ramp-up of a second plant, and the Ebola outbreak in Sierra Leone, where the mine is based. Um, so we've written down the value of that to zero. Um, BlackRock also reduced the valuation of some gold-linked preference shares and a corporate bond issued by Banro, where this has had less of an impact. Um, so what they thought was going to be you know, a really good source of income in two out of three cases has turned out quite badly. They still have another, the option of buying another royalty, so that they may, they may include that. And they haven't ruled out investing in more royalties, but what they have done is tightened up the guidelines for what they can include. Um, I think as a result of that, um, you know, it's poor performance, things gone slightly awry. One of the managers, Catherine Raw, has left. Now, BlackRock says it's to take up a corporate position within the mining sector. But, um, you know, obviously, you know, well, I suppose it was, she wasn't leaving things in a in a good shape. I don't know. Um, the new manager um, is going to be Olivia Markham. And she's also co-manager of BlackRock Commodities Income Investment Trust. Um, Evie Hambo, who's, the, I think, the main manager on um, BlackRock World Money, he, he continues on in the position. Um, so it was a bit of a changeover. And it's not very concerned because I feel, you know, the, it was very much a team approach, BlackRock taken. Evie Hambo's still there. So, so you can read you can read more about BlackRock World Mining mm. in, in the magazine. Now, in the Your Money section this week, um, we've been looking at, at a little part of the budget notes that was 
wasn't flagged very widely and that's something called deeds of variation. Now the Chancellor was looking at scrapping the ability to vary your will after you died and and Kate you've been looking at um, the implications of this. Now what is a deed of variation? Can you explain that? Um, Well, deeds of variation enable beneficiaries of a will to amend that will after death, as long as all the beneficiaries agree and the changes are made within two years if if those changes have tax implications. And and why is it used? Is it for tax planning purposes? Yeah, most commonly um, seems to be used to pass an estate to your children, for example, if, if you receive the estate but you don't have need for it and you want that to go to your children, um, you can amend it so that it goes directly there and you don't, you know, both sets of people don't have to pay inheritance tax. Um, although it's also used if, if a will has maybe left people out or, or the beneficiaries feel that it's unfair. Mm-hmm. What exactly is the pl- Chancellor planning to do in relation to this um, little loophole that people use? Well, I mean, it's unclear. In the, in the budget, um, he announced it partly as a bit of a swipe to Ed Miliband, potentially, who has used this um, with his own family. Um, but he just said that he'd be reviewing the use of deeds of variation for tax purposes as a part of his wider intention to clamp down on tax avoidance. I mean, it's important to to note that he didn't say he would definitely be scrapping it and with such uncertainty over the election, who knows whether you know the review will go ahead and, and who will even be in power to, to look at it. But, but if you've ha- had a, a family member... Um, and sadly die recently and they left substantial assets and you might have been thinking of using this form of tax planning. Should you get a move on, do you think? Yeah, well, I think I think it's important to think about things you could do now just in case. And one of those things is if you were thinking about amending a will, you know, you've got two years, but you might as well do it now um, just in case they are scrapped. And also everybody has to agree on this change. So it could you know involve a bit of negotiation among your family might as well get moving now Um, but the best thing for everyone is to just make sure your will is up to date so that there's no need to amend it anyway so have these conversations with your families and you know make sure it's it's not just in a drawer somewhere (laughs) yeah I mean a lot of people will be keeping it in a drawer for years and not Mm. looking at it so now's the time to get it out and check it's it's what you really want exactly Okay. well, thank you very much to my special guests, Lee Robertson of Investment Quorum and Alan Hyam of Fidelity and to Leonora Walters and Kate Bealey of the Investors Chronicle. You can read more about the new pension freedoms in this week's issue of Investors Chronicle. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.